Welcome to Two Old Bulls. My name is Tom and I'm joined by my partner, Paul. Together we have 75 years of combined sales and management experience. On Two Old Bulls, Paul and I will interview a variety of guests from all types of backgrounds. Our goal is to entertain, inform, and help you grow in whatever you do. So welcome to Two Old Bulls. Now let's get started. Go on this morning. Hey, Tommy, as you know, Joan and I are on the long drive to Florida, but it's going well. I'm going to pull over because I'm excited about this podcast we're about to do. I, I'm uh, looking forward to speaking to our guests. Did you get Joni a nice pillow so she can just sleep while you're talking boring podcast stuff? Or Well, no, because she can't sleep because she's got to tell me how to drive, Tommy. So. Ah, well, just let her just let her drive. When are you going to learn? I know. I know. Uh, so, so here's the deal. Uh, the number is 138. When you get two 69 year olds on on the call, that's 138. Today I've got two guys that are 69. Two guys from Michigan. I don't know if I can take it, but uh, today's going to be super cool. But before we get fired up with that, uh, just reminding everybody, we're on LinkedIn. Two old bulls. Go follow us on Two Old Bulls. You can listen to us on Apple podcast and Spotify. And uh, I ran across a cool quote this week, Paul. I'm going to say it real quick. Saying that a tomato is a fruit is knowledge. Knowing not to put it in a fruit salad is wisdom. I so, like that. So it kind of, like that. kind of reminds me of two old bulls, like we get on here and we talk to people. And that's really the goal is to get people to pick up on some of these guests and what they've been through. The, the guy today literally just, I call him the big daddy. I mean, he's, uh, I, I seriously am highly impressed. And I didn't really know him personally for a while. I mean, once I met him personally, it was outstanding. And we'll get into that in, during the interview. But this gentleman, uh, if I get into his bio here, he has, just start with the personal. He's uh, He's been married 48 years. It's amazing. Three kids, two daughters. They're flight attendants over in Hawaii, which is pretty cool. Uh, he's got a cool. he's got a boy in banking. He's a VP. Uh, two grandkids. Uh, he lives in on the Palm P A L M Palm Coast, by the ocean. Works out every day. I'm hearing that he's going to be like a you know a bodybuilder. Is what he told me on the phone. But uh, 69, he may not have too many followers. And then his his uh, career is very interesting. No college, but came out in 85 at a company by the name of ASI, sales engineer, water jet for trimming various uh, materials. And then he became sales manager at ASI. And then in 92, he flipped over to Flow, which is uh, a water jet company everybody knows about. And then he went to senior VP, uh, he opened a branch in Brazil. He's a global kind of guy. 2000, he became executive VP sales and he moved to Seattle. So that's when he had to get his, you know, uh, windshield wipers updated. Uh, we all know that joke. So, but that afforded him to go to Hawaii more often to see his daughters, which is kind of cool. Uh, and then in 2015, he became the president of Global Flow International, which is a big organization. I know very well, competed with him for years. And then in 19, he, he retired. He's been retired about five years and he's, uh, he's getting after it down there in Florida. So without any further delay, welcome to the podcast, Dick. Good morning, gentlemen. Nice to be with you. All right, well, Dick. to my fellow uh, Michigan native, I don't know whether to say go green or go blue. I'm a go bluer. Well, I put two kids through Michigan State, so I kind of feel I got to root for them. But it's it's been tough the last couple of years. How do you tolerate Steve? <laughs> how do you tolerate Steve Harris? Is what I want to know. That's that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I got video of Steve. If you ever need him, so yeah, <laughs> pick pictures and video, high resolution. That's why he could never fire yeah. me. Yeah, I've got a few too. Yeah, no kidding. But hey, Dick, it's a real pleasure to get you on, and I know. Uh, uh, you're you're busy even in retirement, so we do appreciate it. I'm really excited about picking your brain today. 
But let's go back to this guy getting, you know, out of high school, uh, whatever journey you went on, and then you took that job at ASI. Kind of kick us off into that and run us through up to the current date. Yeah, I think even before ASI, I got my start in sales at a small company in Madison Heights, Michigan, that uh, sold power transmission components to like automation manufacturers and what have you. And I started out kind of in the warehouse and then was put into inside sales for a couple of years and always wanted to get into outside sales. So I was given that opportunity and given the territory and uh, learned how to sell really just hitting the street, the old saying of parking your car at one end of an industrial complex and walking down and knocking on every door to try to get an order uh, is exactly what, what I did back then. And uh, had some great mentors, uh, one guy in particular by the name of Gary Kipp that uh, really helped me learn the, the value of relationships. And as a result of uh, that, uh, I was offered a, a, a position as sales manager with one of my comp- my uh, um customers and uh that didn't really work out after about a year they didn't they didn't have much 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 coin so fortunately i think god kind of stepped in and touched me and said here's an opportunity one of my customers at ford recommended me to um the sales manager at asi robotics and uh and i got the job so it was a it was a a great transition out of components into automation systems and in turn robotics because ASI back then didn't only do interior trim water jet cutting. They did a lot of uh, assembly systems, welding systems, urethane dispensing systems. And as a result, I was able to get into all kinds of factories, had the Ford Motor account, General Motors, as well as Eastern Canada. So kept myself pretty busy. Yeah, I bet the robots back there were the ABB, were they Motorman? What were they? Well, what, back then, the, the articulated arm robots, the one arm boys, uh, weren't really path accurate. So, what we sold were gantry robots. So, our Cartesian XYZ and then rotation axis on the end of the, under the Z. And uh, uh, it was our product manufactured down in Jeffersonville, Indiana. And we held like 80% of the market up until. In fact, the articulated armor robots did get path accurate, and that kind of displaced the gantry robot out of the automotive industry anyways, but it still went strong for large envelopes, uh, primarily that were used in, in, in the aerospace industry. So we moved into the aerospace industry heavily for machining composites with uh, a, abrasive water jet. Yeah, so then you got into the flow world. How did that happen? Well, um, in, let's see, in about 1990, um, a guy by the name of Ron Tarrant took over as CEO of Flow. Uh, Flow was doing about $40 million, and they sold only pumps at the time. And um, I got to know him real well because they were actually buying XY systems from ASI Robotics so they could, in turn, sell complete systems. So I got to know him real well. And as a result, he recruited me. Actually, he tried to buy the company first, and then they, they turned him down. About a year later, he recruited me to, to be VP of sales for uh, North America. And, uh, and, and, and a couple of months later, he turned around, made another offer, and ASI, in fact, sold to Flow. Uh, so that then became the Flow Robotics Division. And uh, that way we were able to sell complete systems now and uh, offer a one-stop, you know, integrated solution to, to, to customers. And you were still in Michigan at this time? Yes, I was still in Michigan. Yeah, I didn't move to Seattle until uh, 99, right around 2000. Yeah, so in 92, I can only imagine water jets emerging. Uh, people are still learning about the technology, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially the abrasive side of it. The, the pure water jet was being used a lot already since, the say, the mid-80s in, in the automotive industry. And even before that, it was used heavily in the diaper industry, as well as the paper and pulp plants would, would slit and crosscut with a pure water jet. So a very fine jet versus an abrasive jet that has the garnet in it that you can machine the hard hard materials with. So. Yeah, it was uh, early early stages for that. And then in the early 90s, 
abrasive water jet really started to kick in. So then you move on up, uh, senior VP. And I talked to uh, a friend of ours, Simon. He mentions this story, and I want you to talk about this story, about the 4 a.m. negotiation. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, that, that was a long chase. Um, basically, what it was, it was for the uh, Airbus um, program for their, their, their new aircraft, which was pretty much all made out of composites. And the legacy suppliers to Airbus were primarily Spanish-based Spanish and a couple others throughout Europe. So the idea of an American company going into Europe and displacing them was a, was a very tall task. We were going to be happy if we got a couple, a couple of the systems. Long story short, we got them all. It was about a $41 million contract. But uh, leading up to it, we just had a very orchestrated approach. We, we started with bringing engineers over. We even brought Muhammad Hashish over to a major meeting over in, in Airbus. And I had him speak to the whole crew. And, and I had uh, people that were based, our people, sales managers that were based in uh, Spain, Germany, uh, the UK, France, and they were all present for the meetings and at that early stage and then into the negotiation stage. Um, but it came down to, uh, there were three of us in the final run and they brought us all into a, into a common location, had us in different conference rooms and they would bounce back and forth between us and, uh, try to scare us with scare tactics of we're giving this to the other company because you won't do this or you won't do that. Um, and it literally came about midnight, the last competitor, uh, a Spanish competitor, which was the one that had always supplied routers to Airbus for machining these type of products. Um, they walked, they, 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 they were asked to leave. So it was just us. And uh, <laughs> it, this is about midnight. We had a little bit of a break. And uh, the VP of purchasing came in along with uh, his, his second in command and tried to beat us up some more on price and told us um, that if we do this or that, we, we, we just might get um, five of the, of the units. Um, and we bounced around till about two in the morning. And then a typical tactic was the VP of, of, uh, of Airbus total wants to see you just you, Dick, upstairs. So I went upstairs and met with those three guys. And uh, they said, you got to do this, you got to do that. Mm, yeah, okay, I got to go talk to my team, figure this out, that out. He said, well, you got to do something because I've got to meet with the CEO on Monday. And in order to convince some of these other plants to go with you guys, I, I've, I've got to speak to those plants. Um, but so I can't can't promise you anything on those systems. Well, okay. So I went down and told the guys what they said. The big thing that I latched on to was he said he had a meeting with the CEO. So he had to make a decision before we left the room that night. And at around 3.30 in the morning, they came back down and said, are you guys ready to talk? Yeah, we're ready to talk. And, and uh, he, he asked for, I don't know, maybe another 5% or something like that off. I forget the exact percentile, but uh, Simon and I had already discussed. We're gonna we're gonna walk out of this meeting, is what we're gonna do. And I'm gonna tell him, look, at I understand you got to meet with the CEO on Monday, and you need to speak to the plant. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna all cancel our flights, and we're gonna stay here through the weekend, and we'll come back and meet with you on Monday. Well, <laughs> that made that made him twitch a, a, a lot, and and in turn he. he he kind of gave an indication of what he might do. And I said, you sure? He said, yeah. And I said, okay, let's do it. And he just looked across at Simon and me and said, man, you guys are tough. <laughs> but bottom line, we were, we were initialing documents and, and what have you at, at four o'clock in the morning to close that, that, that order for just about $41 million. So basically it sounds to me like you guys had done your homework and you got to a critical point where you felt like you could push back a little bit and that takes a lot of courage, right? Cause that had to be, what was yeah. the potential of Airbus globally? 
Well, I mean, the ongoing business after that would be huge as well, N not just in additional systems, but uh, in the service side, the, the, the revenue stream, as well as the aftermarket side of what you can get out of something like that. But yeah, there was a lot of, lot of background work that was done. Again, an amazing team uh, with regard to the people we had positioned around the world to help us capture this. And our, our relationships, and that's something I've always believed strongly in, is the relationship aspect of selling. Without the relationship as a foundation, it comes down to a price war and you can't really understand what's, what's, what the needs are um, if, if you don't really have your ear toward the customer and understand exactly what his needs are so you can fulfill those. So then you transition to president global flow in 2015. I, I remember that. How did that mm -hmm. come about? How did that come about? Well, as you know, both your company, KMT and flow international was purchased by a private equity company, AIP. And, uh, and with that came, came changes and, uh, and, and departures in, in the form of, uh, who, who had been running flow. Um, so I was, I was given that opportunity to, to be president at that point in time. It didn't take much for you to impress me after the last guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've had some interesting um, CEOs throughout the years. Same thing with Harris. Same thing with Harris, right? He came in after that one guy. I won't mention his name. I'm like, Steve, this is kind of a layup, right? <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah, want to, well, you don't want to follow Nick Saban. You want to follow these other guys. Yeah. Right? Well, Harris. The thing about Harris is he manages he manages a lot like I do. He he he's strong on getting to know the people that work with him, not for him. And uh, and and he, he he he. My two things is is in the management side of things that is motivation and direction. You provide those two things and stay on top of it and communicate regularly. And, uh, and you, you gotta be tough. That's for sure. People have to fulfill their, their commitments as far as revenue. Um, but, uh, Steve was, Steve's a lot like that as well. He gets out of the way, lets the people do their job. I, I agree. I talked to him last week and it was a breath of fresh air. Just, uh, reminding me of his style and uh yeah. he's uh he's a special guy he's got the yeah. commercial side but he's got the relationship side and absolutely he gets it he gets out there with the customers yeah. so so dick you got uh you've got a great let's call it resume background bio it really is impressive i mean you you go from ground zero and and you land at the top of the heap with as the president and uh, it had to be just a whirlwind, right? As you look back, it's like, how, yeah. did, that, how did that happen? Yeah, it's so true. I, I look back at it now and reflect on it often in, in my times of just sitting around the pool, sipping on a beer. Uh, it'd be hard to imagine to go back into it. Uh, but you know as well as I do uh, that chasing revenue is is not for the faint of heart on a daily basis. That's what we did all all year long, every day, every week, is you got to chase revenue. My dad, who was a salesman his whole life, told me, you're going to get in sales, Dick? Yeah, yeah I really want to get in sales. He said, well, just remember, you're a hero one day and a bum the next. Um, you get a clean piece of paper at the beginning of every quarter, and and that that that's true. We always had to be chasing revenue. Now, this, this is where you know you and I can agree on this. I'm sure Paul will agree as well. You get these people in the organization that push back on, well, these guys are making too much money. I mean, these salespeople. Yeah. It's like, come on, go stay yeah. out at the Holiday Inn, go out and eat crummy <laughs> steak, yeah. go in these rooms and sweat till 4 a.m., be away from your family. You don't get to see your kids' t-ball game, so yeah. on and so forth. Your wife's got a boyfriend, right? And uh, <laughs> you're, you're worried about paying me <clears throat> a little extra money. All the time, you're, you know, no offense, but you're sitting in a cubicle, pushing paper. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I get a little fired up on that stuff. Hey, Paul, you got any questions so far or any comments? No questions, but I, I want to go back to an early comment that he made. And, and Tom and you and I talk about this and this podcast is for the sales guys, right? And, and especially the young guys. And we always, the key is relationships. And the one, one thing that amazed, it doesn't amaze me because it happens a lot, 
But when Dick said, you know, his, his, uh, how do I say it? His start his his launch into the rocket ship where he, you know, ended up the global vice president. And everything was from a suggestion from a customer Ford motor company to another company that this guy would be good for you to hire. And boy, does that speak of a relationship? There's no more higher praise than a customer telling somebody, this is a good guy. You ought to take Well, not only that, but it just reinforces that everything you do, uh, you have to be aware of your, of your relationship and, and how, what impact you're making on other comp other people out there and, and they network, right, Dick? Oh yeah, that's for sure. It, it, especially water jet again, Tom, you know, as well as I do, how competitive it, it, it was and still is for that matter. But back then in, in trying to position uh, the company as the world leader, because at that time we really weren't, and we weren't selling complete systems. So, moving into the total systems really made relationship selling a, a key key component of success understanding you know what the customer needs and, and making sure it didn't just come down to a price war we we would often tell customers look at if you're going to buy in price you most likely won't be buying from us and uh, we didn't say that with with uh, uh, with with arrogance we said that with confidence because we were so convinced of uh, what we had as the as the solution that uh, we we stuck with it and made, in most most cases we would win. Yeah, it's funny when I like I said, Paul, I competed with Dick for many years. I could tell you stories, and I kind of hated the guy for years. And then finally, <laughs> you finally we had this uh, organization he, he mentioned, the private equity, and then KMT and Flow. We're under the same umbrella of shape. And here I went to this event, and all of a sudden, here comes Dick LeBlanc. I heard, you know, I've been around him for years, but never really met him. I met him at a function. And Paul, I'll tell you, we talked for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, and he walked away. And I'm thinking, wow, now I get it. I mean, Dick is, you talk about this relationship. I mean, I can just tell you, he's, he's masterful at it. And, uh, We've been out, we've sang karaoke together in Atlanta and hung out with Harris. <laughs> and and one thing, Dick, I heard about you, you didn't mention. Somebody mm. says you might have a little background in singing too. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said early on, I didn't go to college. I got out of high school and uh, went into bartending. Great job, right? Good, good way to meet chicks. And um, this one place I worked at, the band that played there, I got to know them real well. And then they heard I'd like to sing. So I'd sing a few songs with them. After about six months, they had a microphone ran across the ceiling to the, to the, to the, into the bar area. And I was a singing bartender at the same time. And they, they then got an opportunity to play at the Sheraton Royal Biscayne down in Key Biscayne Island, just South of Miami. And uh, they asked me to come down and, 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 and join the band. I said, Sure, why not? So I did. And I was down there a couple of years doing that. And at the same time, I got to know the guy that played accordion in the fine dining area of the hotel, a guy by the name of Nick Pilla. Um, beautiful Italian accordion music. I got to know him and we'd sit and talk during breaks. And he kept telling me, Dickie, you got to meet my daughter. I want you to meet my daughter. Yeah, bring her in, Nick. So that's that's what he did. <laughs> And that's how I met my wife. Wow. So, so what was your, what was your go-to song? Like the one that you just. Oh, I, I, I did a lot of the old standards, but we did all kinds of music, but I love the old standards, you know, the Sinatras and that, those kind of things. That's impressive. When's the last time yeah. you, you, you had a moment to sing around, around people? When's the last moment? I sing at a lot of the family weddings and, Wow. That's about, that's about it. I don't do anything. You know, we do karaoke. We go out and have some fun. That is outstanding. If I would have yeah. known this, I would have jerked, <laughs> pulled your tail down on that floor that night. <laughs> that is. Hey, so... you did a pretty damn good job yourself. Sir. Well, yeah, maybe a few beers helped, <laughs> but uh, no, that was a, that was a great evening. So, Hey, let me get back to the business uh, stuff. I've, yeah. got a, I've got a question for you. When you look back over your 40, 50 years, what what are some things that you think of when you think of a of a damn good salesperson? Like what what are some attributes that you think of? 
I would say persistence is, is, is number one. Too, too many people would give up too soon and throw in the towel and say, I just, we're just not going to win this. But the, 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 the best salesmen I ever worked with, most of them were, were ex athletes, you know, so that competitive aspect of, of being an athlete um, really helped uh, in, in that regard. But, you know, it, it really comes down to wanting to not just sell, but while you're selling, actually enjoy the relationship piece of, of interacting with, with the customers. That's a tough thing to, 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 to really train people on and, and teach them on. They got to have that built into their DNA. Um, but certainly the, the, the knowledge base of the product is huge. The, the guys that take the time to learn the product and not just learn their product, but learn their competitors' product as well. And uh, in fact, know their competitors' product sometimes better than the competitor does. And the ability to then create uh, or actually stem off objections, actually bring up what might be an objection yourself before the customer even does so that it gets addressed early on and actually forms a credibility base with the customer as well. So it's, it's, it's that keen eye on the customer and the persistence aspect of it, of, of never letting go once you sink your teeth into a potential potential order. Be honest, Dick. You've listened to our podcast, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're picking up on, I mean, Paul, this is funny how everything comes back to these basic things. Paul, what do you think? Absolutely. And the, the interesting thing, when he, he got to the athlete, right? Remember our first guest, Billy Clement, he said it wasn't exactly the will to win. It was hating to lose. Yeah. And I always remember that. Yep. It's so true. I used to say I hate my competitors and I'm proud to say it. <laughs> well, Dick, I will tell you a quick story. And you I guarantee you, you remember this. I'm walking the Fabtech trade show and I was the guy that got the short straw. I had to show uh, the the investors, the sellers around Mott's Heyman. I had a group of about 12 people and I was all fired up and I had to go show them all the competitors and I will never forget. We walked up to your booth and you were in rare form and I didn't know you then <laughs> you basically, well, this, I did, I went around at the beginning of the show to do some degrees of skids because I didn't want to just walk up and, you know, it turned into a disaster. So I went around that morning and uh, degrees of skids and I went into your booth and here you came across the booth at a sprint Get him out of here. That, this is not going to happen. And I'm like, whoa, 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 no problem, man. So I think I talked to, I don't know who it was, and they pulled you back. And I said, listen, all I need to do is I'll stand on the edge of the booth. I'm not trying to learn your technology. So I think we compromised and we had to stand on the edge of the booth. Yeah. Uh, and get the information. <laughs> but that was so funny now that I think about yeah. it. Yeah, that was one of our rules at trade shows. Competitors are not allowed in our booth. Just yeah. they just weren't. No, and I, hey, listen, I and you know what where I come from, and I tell my team, that's one of my rules. And the other one is, if you got a vendor in there, hey, do you guys buy hydraulic hose or do you, what about these motors? I'm like, get yeah. get out of here. Yeah. We're here yeah. to sell. If you want to sell, go to my factory, man. Yeah, that's you right. know, it, yeah. it would drive me crazy. And yeah. so, uh, hey, that just a quick story there. But no, going back to this salesperson, persistence, eth, you know, competitiveness, enjoying people. What a what a great tip. You know, you've been around these guys that were very intense or girls, and they lose sight of the people side, and then they walk out of this person's office, and they're like, you know what, I'm just not going to buy from that asshole. You know, yeah. and yeah. so it's real important. You just brought that up. Stay yeah. human. Stay connected. Be human. Yeah. Respect them. You can still have your agenda, but you you got to get them in a spot where they want to work with you because they have options, right, Dick? Absolutely, and and I always told in, in training that people want to like who they buy from. I know I do. I, I remember once going to buy a, a big screen TV, and I'm standing here looking at a TV, and I'm thinking, man, this is nice. And all of a sudden, I I hear a guy behind me chewing gum and i turn around and it's the, it's the goddamn salesman chewing gum with a leather jacket on like he's ready to walk out the door 
and I, I, I immediately just left. My wife said, what are you doing? I thought you wanted that TV. I said, I'm not going to buy from that guy. No way. But that's, that's just an example. People want to like who they buy from. And that, that goes right back to the foundation of, a, uh, of the relationship uh, at the beginning of a sale. It's, it's so, so critical. And it is right. I mean, you're, you're hitting awesome things and, and, and do the little things right. Uh, yeah. It takes a little bit of intuition, right? I mean, you and I, I don't have to tell you or Paul, I mean, you guys are combined age of 138. I mean, listen, I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to tell either one of you this, but I'm going to say it anyway for the audience. Don't be a robot. Don't be rigid, but also you have to read the person and the situation and you have to have a little bit of intu intuition there. If the guy's uptight and he's an engineer, pull it back a little bit. If you're dealing mm -hmm. with another salesperson that just went out last night and saw Leonard Skinner, maybe you can let your hair down a little bit. So you yeah. have to be able to read people, get your feelers, your tentacles out, and stay human. Yeah, that's for sure. So let, no me, ask, let me ask you this question, a little bit of the same question, but I'm going to put a different spin on it. So now think about all your sales managers that you've had. I mean, you, you've been the big boss and you've had a lot of these sales managers. What makes a good sales manager? I mean, the the fundamentals don't change that much being at the top or being mid-level. It, it really comes down to communication and uh, constant, in, especially when you look at uh, from a global perspective, I had sales managers in Asia, Brazil, Europe, uh, Japan, and the fundamentals don't change. And it really comes down to paying attention to the details. And the other key thing from the business aspect is, is forecasting, which is one of the toughest parts to learn and, and do, do well because the company runs on revenue and has to understand what's coming with regard to revenues and a lot of things, a lot of pieces get moved around as a result of what's in the pipeline or not. Uh, so it really comes down to communicating on a regular basis with the people that are reporting to them and, uh, and, and making sure that they're there to coach, motivate, direct, no different than, uh, than what a president should be doing as well. And I'm assuming you give them a lot of autonomy you let you lay out the basic structure and you say, Hey, go get results. Yeah. No, that's right. It's we, we would have regular weekly calls with, with the, with the entire um, North America team. And I would have weekly calls with a European Brazilian Asian. And uh, we would talk about what's in the funnel. What are the roadblocks? What are some of the things we might need to do to help win these sales? Do we need to fly this person in that person in from engineering even somebody from manufacturing, whatever um, it was, it was a it was a team team sell for sure. Uh, in in many many cases, um, one I saw a Kenny Chesney uh, or listened to a Kenny Chesney song the other day that said, "I didn't get here alone." Well, that's that's certainly my case. I I I, I didn't get here on on my own. It started first and foremost with the foundation of my family and. And, and, and God and, and in turn, um, working from there and uh, getting to know people at the company, communicating within the company and uh, respecting everybody that, that you come in contact with because everyone plays a role in the success of a company. That's, that's for sure from the guy putting it together in the, uh, out in the warehouse, the guy that designed it first, first of all, uh, right on to the shipping and customer service right across the whole company. Everyone yeah. plays a role. Yeah. And, and you're, what you're saying is in, in the, today's term is a servant leader. I mean, they put, they put labels on that, but that's a servant leader. It's a humble leader. You're playing a part of this, but you're not the, the only part of this. And you, you see that. And what I like about what you said is, and I, and I've done the same thing is if you have an opportunity for a new sale or opportunity in the business, as a boss, I used to tell people, what can I do to help you? I don't want to yeah. give you know, just tell me what we need to do. Let's go get yeah. this that darn thing. And absolutely, you know, you're not in there to tell them every move to make, but no, what, what can we do to, to give you a better chance to win? 
Yeah, I, sales managers would would ask me what what what's the best way to 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 get a new sales guy or if I'm going into a new company and what have you, what's the best way for me to to motivate a sales team? I said go out on the road on sales calls and help them win an order. I remember doing that with the top guy at Flow. Uh, uh, Fred Mooneyham was his name, is his name. And, uh, and early on, there was this tough, tough account. Farmer's Copper was the name of it. I'll never forget it. Down in Galveston, Texas. And uh, Fred was actually on vacation. And this was a pivotal order because we knew there were going to be a lot more systems to come after that. So I flew down there myself while Fred was on vacation and uh, met with the guy actually convinced he and his wife to go to dinner. That's a whole nother thing I'd like to talk about is the social aspect outside of sitting in a, in an office with these guys. Um, but long story short, um, the, the guy held off making his decision. He was going to make it that week. I said, wait, wait till Fred gets back in town and, and we'll come back and, and meet you together. Cause he's going to be managing the territory working with you. And so on we got the order. So helping guys early on in, in, in the, in the uh, chase of an order really makes a difference to establish the respect that they need to have for you before they can really work for you. That's really good. Getting the trenches with that person. So go ahead and drill down into this social thing you brought up. Well, uh, one of my old bosses early on told me, you whenever you go out for dinner at night, you you've got to talk business. They owe it to you because you're buying them dinner. I says I I don't agree. The last thing I want to do at dinner is talk business. That's the last thing I want to do. I'll talk business during the day, maybe uh, uh, a little bit early on, but going out to dinner is we're just going to have fun, have a few drinks, have a good meal, laugh, learn about each other, and we'll talk about business in the morning. And uh, I, that that that's just a, a, another staple in the in 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 the words of uh, relationship selling. But it's not something that's forced. It's not something that's you know you got to work at doing. You got to actually really like that part of being in sales because it's a, it's a big part the entertainment side of it. Paul brings this up. Paul brings this up all the time. Uh, you got to love people. You got to yeah be in the business of people. Paul, talk about that. Well, what, what's, you know, I'm, uh, Tommy knows this, Dick, I'm on my way to retirement. So I've got about a week to go with the company I'm with, and then I'm riding off in the sunset. And one of the things I shared with the sales team in a sales meeting last week is what a lucky guy I've been. I, I've been uh, with uh, a number of companies. In fact, I don't know, Tommy probably didn't tell you, I did do a stint with Aquadine. And, oh, yeah. And through that, you know, not only do I have today a wonderful friendship with people like Tommy and other people I worked with, but customers that yeah. long ago are still friends of mine. I, I did international sales for Aquadine, and I still have friendships with the distributor guys I dealt with in Singapore, the guy I dealt with <laughs> in Dubai. I mean, yeah. and, and to me, you know, in the end, sales is great, and everybody loves it, and you, and you want to make that money. But in the end, those friendships, they're golden. I mean, they are golden, yeah. and, and I've just enjoyed them. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, that's one of the things people say. Oh, what don't you miss? Don't you miss it? I said, no, I, I actually don't don't miss it. What I do miss is the relationships in, in in the people that I interacted with all over the world. I would love when I went down to Brazil. Man, we just we would sell our asses off all day long. But then you go out at night, have a nice chahascaria half a dozen Caparinas and you just have a blast with the people. Same place everywhere I went, I just enjoyed the people, Italy, uh, Asia, uh, Europe, a lot of time in Europe, but it, the, the relationships with the people you work with is what, what really, really made the difference. Having a great product helped too and being successful and, 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 and winning most of the time really is a, is a huge motivator. You know, so something you mentioned but, earlier, too, if I can kind of capitalize on that, too, is, is uh, the team selling concept, number one, you know, because you don't play golf with one club, right? So you've got yeah. 
you need you need that help. You need to the, the more people you get involved from your company and, and with their company, the cost of divorce is high, right? And then the yep. other thing that I I really liked what you said because I I can tell you I've watched with COVID, right? We've gone through that transition, and I see a lot of young managers that are still sitting in their office and they're mm-hmm. managing from a desk in a, a Teams meeting versus. Oh, yeah getting out and riding with their guys yes. and, you know, number one, seeing customers and, but more important, building a relationship with their team. Absolutely. You, you couldn't have said it truer. I mean, I had a, a really good example of a guy that came into the company toward the end um, that, that was put in a, in a higher up position um, that didn't do that, did not go out and meet, never even went out and sold with his with his salesman just managed them through the telephone or meetings in in the in the headquarters and uh failed miserably as a result miserably so dick let me pivot over here now you 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 became big daddy uh head head of the company top of the heap for flow and i like to think about some things that are a little bit unconventional in some of these questions. So hopefully you can, I know you can handle this, but I'm going to ask you this question. So you get the big daddy job. You're the, nobody's higher at flow. You're the, you're the top guy on the org chart. Probably have, I don't know, I'm guessing two, 300, 400 people reporting to you. I don't know. What was the top total? Uh, I think at that time it was probably around four plus. Yeah. Yeah. You got four to 500 people all pointing up to Dick LeBlanc. So mm-hmm. you've got the expectations of the board, you've got the expectations of shape and, and so on and so forth. What are some of the things that people don't realize that are listening? They don't realize some of the challenges that aren't on the front page of challenges, you know, typical hitting revenue, hitting numbers, that's normal stuff. Mm-hmm. But what are yeah. some of the things that you had to deal with that people don't sometimes think about well, I would say, you know, the, the high level side of things with regard to reporting and what have you for board meetings and, and all that and the preparation that that is required hours and hours of, of, of time spent putting something together that's going to satisfy, satisfy a, a board of directors. Um, that's, that's not for the faint of heart. A lot of, lot of work involved there, a lot of number crunching lot of interaction with uh, departments other than sales. So you're dealing with, with finance, you're dealing with manufacturing, you got to report on uh, um, in engineering budgets and what have you. Uh, so there's, there, there's a lot more that goes into it um, than just going out and getting the order and making sure the company is getting the order uh, as it relates to the, the high level side of the business, the reporting side of the business, especially to, in this case, uh, a board of directors uh, in the latter years of flow. Before that, we were a publicly held company. Um, so we would have to have, you know, quarterly earnings calls um, as well. So just just a, a lot of behind the scenes number crunching and preparation uh, that is required uh, at the same time you're, you're running the business and, and managing uh, a global global company. Did you enjoy it? Be honest. Did you enjoy that? I did not enjoy it as much as just pure executive vice president of global sales and marketing. That was my favorite job. Let me ask you another question. Now that you're retired, you don't give a darn and you can be honest. So this is something I just, I think it's a great question. So you know how it is when you have to go into a board and they don't really know the business. You know the business and you're pivoting over to these investors. What is the fine line between transparency and bullshit? In other words, do you keep pounding the Kool-Aid at them, or at some point you pull them off the side and say, eh, this program is not working. How do you, how do you man, how do you manage that? No, it's, that's a good, good, good question because there there is a balance between uh, open transparency but at the same time, the honesty is the best policy. And uh, there were several times that I had to sit there and, and, and show trends that, that, that weren't 
very favorable that I wasn't asked to show, but I showed him anyways as, as a warning sign that we needed to do this or that uh, because we weren't maintaining the growth trajectory that we, we had been on. Things like, okay, we need to develop a new product. We need to I remember sitting in board meetings with uh, with AIP and saying, look, at, we, we need a low-cost five-axis gantry product. Not so much for North America, but for the European market. Um, we're losing significant business in Europe because we do not have a low-cost five-axis system. That, that kind of open communication that uh, is for the good of the company uh, in the end is, is, is what's really important. Yeah, I mean, I've always wondered. I never made it to your level. No, don't know that I want to. And I, I know Harris was pretty good at that, right? I mean, he yes, knew, he's he, extremely he, good at it. He knew how to dance. He could sell. Yep. He, he knew when to push. He knew when to pull back. He knew yep. when to be quiet. He told me several times, "Hey, Tom, just you know, zip it. I got this." You know, absolutely. He 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 knew that magical touch, yep. and that's why he's big daddy over at the lighting company. Well, but, uh, you know, it's it, it comes down to so many people think they have to always be talking. I, I would I I would always sit back and listen and listen and listen and 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 process what we were talking about long before I would I would speak long before I would speak and then when I spoke okay because I wasn't always talking people would tend to listen to you more. Yeah, I mean that that's one on one and it's a challenge and it, it's something that I, I struggle with because I mean all salespeople we talked about this, Paul. You know, you want to go into a customer and just verbally vomit on them. And that's just not the way to do it. I mean, obviously no. you have those you're excited, you've been through training, you want to you want to get the order, and then you just you fall on your face there. So yeah, listening skills. And going back to the, the being aware of what the situation is and knowing how to pull the levers and be smart about it. So, Paul, did yeah. you have anything for Dick in that regard? No, oh, I just uh, this has been an awesome conversation. I just I, I feel you know, when you come out of a conversation like that, I, I feel like I've known Dick for quite a while. So, uh, <laughs> well, maybe you were awesome. in one of those bars when he was singing. I did it my way. <laughs> And you're yeah, over there yeah, in your hockey, your hockey yeah. jersey, same age, yeah. looking at him. But you yeah. reminds me of the yeah. movie Cocktail. You were the original movie Cocktail, Dick. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You, pro you probably look like yeah. you probably look like Tom Cruise back in the day, right? I wish. Yeah. Hey, one thing I want to clear. One thing I want to clear up. Simon wanted me to get this out of you. He he's convinced you have a toupee. Is that real hair? Uh, or? Yeah. <laughs> he, he always told me, "Oh, you're wearing your Wayne Newton toupee today." <laughs> he told me I one time. He said one time, he goes, Dick, I really appreciate you wore the one, you know, the black toupee with the gray uh, accents because it kind of makes you more distinguished. Yeah. Yeah. I get that from Simon. I got I got um, accused of a toupee all the time, as well as dyeing my hair, which I don't have a toupee, of course. And I've never dyed my hair. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. And you, you know what I look like. I haven't had hair since I was 20 years old. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny. But my son is challenged too. And, and, uh, with it, cause he came from me. But yeah, nowadays, Dick, it's all this surgery and stuff. It's crazy. I mean, it is. I talked to, uh, you remember Massimo Russo, the Italian guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I talked to him <laughs> at a trade show and he just got his hair done. And of course, he's a GQ looking guy. And I'm like, what do you oh, mean? Yeah. What do you mean? He goes, no, yeah. no, no. I was receding. He went to Turkey and got, he said it was half price, you know. Oh, I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking I'm going to fly my son to Turkey for a hair transplant. <laughs> I don't think so. So, uh, hey, Dick, I know you've got uh, stuff going on with family. It's been, I knew this would fly by. It's been a great uh, time with you. Uh, I'm looking here on the map. You're an hour and a half from Orlando. Yeah. There's trade shows there. I'll give you a jingle sometime. Maybe Please do. Uh, reach out. And the other thing, Simon wanted me to give you a hard time. Here you live right on the ocean. You got all that water. Yeah. And he said, you're too cheap to buy a boat. <laughs> well, that's, that's half true. I had a, a, a boat in, in, in Seattle for 11 years and my wife and I lived on it every weekend. And, and, uh, when we got out here, I just wasn't up and still haven't gotten up to the point of uh, wanting the responsibility of, 
of owning and taking care of a boat again because I just like not doing much. Well, Dick, you know, you know there's people <laughs> out there that do that for you. Come on. Yeah, man. I know. I know that. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, but hey, I understand. I've got a boat, and it's uh, it's a it's a it's a challenge. It's a lot better to go on somebody else's boat than to own the boat. Yeah, you will get one eventually. Yeah, well, you you may not. If you do, you don't. Now it's yeah. your, your your call. But hey, it's been great uh, chatting with you. I'll send yeah. you the the link and all that good stuff. And again, uh, audience out there, you you heard it from who I consider a legend. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, Dick, I mean, you have, Thank you, you, you should be very proud of what you've accomplished and you did it with fundamentals. You did it with simplistic thinking, but you worked your butt off here you are. And the cool thing about it is his kids, grandkids, whatever can go out to two old bulls and hear the story. So what, you know, we're, gonna be, we're, we're all going to be dead in a hundred years. So yeah, this is the cool thing about it. I appreciate it, Dick. I will be in touch with you. For the audience, uh, be sure to to like us on uh, all the social platforms. Go to LinkedIn, LinkedIn and follow the page. We're trying to get that up to 1,000 followers right now. I think we're a couple of hundred. Uh, uh, shout out to Chris Hanchett for helping us with the marketing side. He's been a real uh, great guy in that regard, working for free. As I tell people, Dick, Paul does nothing. He just shows up. So <laughs> that's all I do, Dick. That's all yeah. I do. Yeah, he's the he's the, yeah, he's the real talent. We have to we have to do all the work. But uh oh, that's beautiful. But anyway, hey guys, have a nice uh, afternoon and uh thanks for listening.